Hello and welcome to South Africa on 99.94, Cricket Every Day. I'm Neil Manthorpe and my co-host is Lungani Zama. Uh, Cricket uh, South Africa on 99.94 is your new home uh, for South African cricket and content. We'll be uh, dropping into your podcast feed on your YouTube or on the 99.94 app three times every week. At least that's the aim. Uh, we've had a few technical issues um, and uh, we've uh, only been once or twice uh, the last week. But three times a week is our aim. Thanks for joining Cricket's South African Conversation. And talking cricket is exactly what I'm going to do with Langani now. Confession time, first of all. It has been four days since my confession, since the test match, uh, Langani. Um, I'm still in the UK. I haven't been sulking, uh, but I have been reflecting, um, as indeed you have been in the dark, by the looks of it. Uh, yes, man. When you say confession, you make me sound like some sort of <laughs> higher priest. I did once marry a couple who now reside in the UK, but again, that's a story for another day. Um, I am in the dark, load shedding. Yes, man, as I officiated an actual wedding that still stands to this day. There are many, many talents which we will unfurl over the the coming years. But like I said, a story for another day. Um, but yeah, just, you know, speaking of dark places, I'm sure the South African top order and middle order are feeling rightly miserable about that third and final test. And I suppose the second and third test really, because after the promise of Lords, that capitulation was pretty special uh, and consistent, which is a concern, obviously going forward. Um, but there was a lot going on in the UK. I was meaning to ask you, about hearing God save the king for the first time, well, ever, because you're not that old. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Jeepers, they, they were singing God save the queen 16 years before I was born, but it did sound strange. It was it was uh, an amazing day, Sam's. Um, you know, uh, like whatever your beliefs are, whether you're a monarchist or a royalist, and I... I confess again that I am neither. But um, in the the ten minutes uh, before the start of the test match, there was an extraordinary energy, and I don't know whether it's um, uh, treading on sacrosanct ground to even compare it uh, to um, to to Britain's Mandela moment. I mean, I was at Ellis Park in 1995 when Madiba walked onto the field before the World Cup final, and um, uh, there was there was the only other time, it wasn't quite to the same level because it didn't mean quite as as much to me. But it was an extraordinary energy. And you know, in that first hour, I mean, the the minute silence was actually more like somewhere between three and four minutes silence. And as you know, um, the the sound of silence is profound when it comes from twenty five thousand people. And and. Do you know that? I mean, there's there's a couple of things. Like you know how irritated I was that South Africa didn't pick up a bat or ball for eleven days or close to eleven days after the second Test match. They turned down the offer of a two day game. I thought that was wrong. It was not just a bad look. I thought it was practically wrong because you know there were a couple of bowlers on tour, Lutasa Pamela and Glenton Stillman, who hadn't bowled a ball um, for a month. So, and, you know, you could have given... It's a two-day game, so it's no first-class status. It was purely for the batters, um, and I think they could have done with a hit in the middle. Um, but then... So I thought they were, you know, a bit rusty and undercooked. I'm not saying that a two-day game would have made the difference, but it might have made a bit of a difference to some of them. Um, but, but you know, 
at drinks after the first hour on that test match, South Africa were 35 for five. And and two balls after drinks, they were 36 for six. And I think they were blown away. I think they were overcome by um, the power and the energy that was coming out of the crowd at the Oval. Um, and um, so I don't know whether that's an excuse or not, but I do think they could have had a hit. They did have a hit because, of course, they went to the Belfry um, to, to hit a small white ball rather than a medium-sized red ball. They had two days of golf. Um, but uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a morning um, with 1-0 and no U, a morning um, on Saturday morning, of course, because it started 48 hours late, that um, was very, very powerful. Yeah, it's weird. I can actually remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. I was, I was on a flight back or on a flight to Cape Town having landed from Ghana earlier um, on a flight to Cape Town for the Sevens. And the lady next to me says, oh, my gosh, the Queen has died. And you kind of don't know how to feel. So I'm sure it was a quite an occasion on the Saturday. Um, but like you say, in terms of cricket, to turn down the offer of time at the crease and you know time in the middle and then decide to go and play golf is not a good look. And then you're 36 for six. It's an even worse look. Um, and I think there's been a lot of questions and not even concerns, like proper frustration at just the approach. You know, your betting is your biggest crisis and you instead go play golf when there's the opportunity to play in any of the aisles for, for over a week and get some sort of betting confidence um, because that it feels like there has been a crisis of confidence. So, you know, the, there's a bit of a gap now before the next test. So it's it's hard to gauge where that test squad goes. And and obviously they, they there's going to be significant changes on and off the field. So it's just, you know, summer that started so promisingly has ended very, very tamely. Yeah. From a South African perspective, anyway. 99.94 is more than just this podcast. Jared Kimber has Red Inca that focuses on deep cricket topics from uh, the global game. There's also Double Century, a look at uh, the history of the game. There are also other podcasts on different teams. Go over and listen to the West Indies on 99.94 podcast for cricket's best Caribbean coverage. Listen to India on 99.94 for considered analysis from two professionals. England on 99.94 has the north and south of the game covered. South Africa on 99.94 is me and Lungani. So let's talk just very briefly. Obviously, um, Rory Dullard and uh, Daniel Norcross, our colleagues on on England 99.94, have got got that covered. But from a South African point of view, uh, have you been especially um, impressed? And have you have you worked out your own interpretation of of what baseball is, or the new the new confident approach to Test cricket, the new look, the redefining the old rules of Test cricket? Yeah, it's interesting because you know when when a team is winning, you start looking at what's what's changed, and obviously you know McCullum has come in, and I think much like his approach at the crease across all formats, it's you know chest out confidently, play your shots in the moment, and 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 back your skills, and obviously it's not going to come off every single time, but I think a lot of those English players sort of needed. It's one thing having Stokes as a leader on the field, but when you've got that conviction in your actions from 
the coach uh, who's done who's done it himself, and quite recently too. A lot of these guys would have played at some point against Brendan McCullum and felt the energy from him as as the opposition. It makes a huge difference because you know they failed in one test and there was no panic. There was no traditional England sense of whoa. Um, you know, it was okay. We'll, we'll just start again in in Manchester, and there was an assurance, even from afar, that you sense that they'll they'll be okay. They'll they'll carry on, and and McCullum transmitted that, and so did Stokes, and they went on the field and did exactly that. It, it looked measured, but positive, um, and I think that positive energy does does wonders for any dressing room, because you don't go back into your shell. Um, I suppose even if they'd gone 2-0 down and it failed again in Manchester, they probably would have played the same at the Oval and finished 2-1 and turned around and said, we're a work in progress. We've only just started this summer, but we think there's enough there to really go on a charge. Um, and, you know, when you when you have that level of assurance and confidence, it filters down to players who are just starting and players who maybe lost their way a little bit. And you could see, you know, people who were shadows of themselves were suddenly really starring, you know, it, it wasn't even all the England main stars who, who took South Africa apart. It was a collective effort. And that's that's dangerous because you know that their biggest stars are still going to hit the high notes at some point. So, you know, they they must be really feeling proper, proper chuffed about this baseball. So there was a moment where I thought maybe I, I was getting an understanding of a, of a small part of it. Um, and that's, um, it's reading and interpreting the moment and the match situation and conditions. And um, there was a moment in the second innings, uh, quite a long moment, actually, where Kyle Zondo and Vian Mulder dug in and, and they were they were grinding it out. The ball was still doing heaps. It was nipping about all over the place. And, and, and they were applying themselves in good old-fashioned test cricket style and, dare I say, South African style. And they, their partnership had reached 50 balls and they'd eked out six runs. And I, I thought at the time, the ball is not doing less. It's getting it's getting older. You've, um, you know, it's, it's now 10, 15 overs older than it was when you came together, but it's still nipping about. It's still a Duke's ball. I wondered whether Baz Ball and McCullum's um, instruction in that situation would have been, you need to score runs. You you need to score runs. Yes, I know we're, we're 50 for five or 80 for five, whatever it was in the second innings. Um, and, and his view would have been back yourselves to to score some runs. And if we are bowled out for 80, <laughs> so what? We're, we'll we'll bounce back in the next inning or next test match. Is that, that was a moment where I thought, and then I wondered, do you think South African test teams... <laughs> well, given that they're going to play so much less test cricket than all the other big test nations, do you think that it's in their DNA to to adopt a, a, a kind of counter-attacking style like that with the bat more than the ball? Yeah, look, there was a guy called Quentin de Kock not too long ago who used to <laughs> to have a bit of bears in him. Um, but it's hard, you know, anyone coming into that situation. And unfortunately, you talk about baseball and you compare them to England – there's a lot of assurance and, and experience in that England middle order. Um, and the converse is true for, for South Africa. There's, there's people playing to prove themselves or people playing for places. Kaya was really playing his first proper test. 
um, it, it, it's it's such a different mindset, and it's 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 so much easier to adopt uh, a baseball mentality of there'll be another day when you're not really sure. You can't even say when your next test is as a team. Never mind as an individual. So it, it's hard. I mean, if you if you took Brendan McCullum and magically put him in the South African dressing room, I don't think they would play with that assurance straight away just because there's a lot more insecurity even just in, in, in the selection system of South Africa. You know, game by game, it changes according to circumstances. So baseball needs a system that is already comfortable with itself. Um, and then you just apply the mentality. You know, it, it reminds a lot of that great Australian side of the 2000s, which you'd have them 150 for five, but it's Damien Martin and Adam Gilchrist at the crease. And even though the ball is nipping about, you know, two hours later, they 400 for five and looking like scoring 600. And it's it's deflating for the opposition, but it's it's a bravado because you know they know they're shots away from 180 all out. But to keep on backing your skill set, even in those tough times and play the shots that got you there is... It's a hell of a thing. It, it, it's risky and it's fun to watch. And obviously there's elements of, of, of all these shorter formats that more and more players are playing more and more. But that conviction, you know, transfers across all cricket formats. If you play confidently, people are going to look at you and, and, and sort of take a step backwards if they're not as confident themselves. And then it's who blinks first. And I think South Africa did a lot of blinking in these last two tests. Just I remember, you know, <clears throat> Kepler Vessels was a, South Africa's first post-isolation captain and... He was very much of um, the oldest of old schools. And I remember him actually saying um, that you have to remember that a test captain's first duty is to ensure that the test match cannot be lost. Only after that can he consider trying to win it. Um, and, and, and you know, my concern is that in the years going forward, and you know what, in the next, it may well be that South Africa still reach the next year's World Test Championship final. But in the next edition after that uh, of the World Test Championship final, they don't play England or Australia. Um, I mean, they've got a very favourable draw, again, to challenge for a place in the World Test Championship final. My concern is that playing only two Test series will lead to a more conservative approach uh, rather than, than thinking we, need, we actually need to go all out for the victory and almost to hell with the consequences. Yeah, it's it's depressing to even think about just how little Test cricket there is on the horizon for South Africa, but yeah, the it's probably a bit easier to to go guns blazing against the lesser nations, uh, respectfully. Um, but you know, this lack of confidence within the batting is not something that started now with this current team. It's you got to go back to almost four or five years ago. You know, the minute an AB de Villiers and that generation left. There's never really been the assurance. Dean Elgar's been around for a while, but it's brittle. And I think attacks around the world, the really good ones, the ones who bowl consistently 85, 90 miles an hour as a quartet, have realized that you've just got to stay patient. Eventually, South Africans can't help themselves because if you're disciplined, they're going to be ill-disciplined in playing shots. And, and, and that's, again, you know, it's bred by the hunger to do well and, 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 and confirm your own place in the team because there's competition, because no one has really owned the middle order. Um, you know, you, you you talked about that scenario with Kaya batting um, just after lunch. 
you could say the same of of Rossi and Keegan Peterson batting and batting for a session and not losing a wicket at Old Trafford, but the game didn't move forward. There was never a sense of England are worried about the tide turning in the way that we just said about Damien Martin and Adam Gilchrist. It was just a matter of time. So just, you know, you look at the body language of England, they're smiling away. They were even chirping even more as they went off for for the next break because they know it's a matter of time. And I'm sure the conversation was around, you you might as well nick off now (laughs) because sooner or later you're going to lose by an innings anyway. And it's hard. And, And it goes to not playing enough red ball cricket and... And not being, like you say, old school Kepler Vessel styles um, test players who respect every ball and are happy to to score a 300 ball 100 if that's what the situation dictates. We're playing more and more other formats and which, which force us to plan more and more shots. And unfortunately, you know, not everyone is able to just seamlessly shift the gears and and, and read the situation and, and, and play accordingly. And... Like I say, the, the really good bowling attacks and bowling coaches have scouted the fact that South Africa play too many shots. It's not just Aiden Markram. It's, it's quite a lot of them. Um, you know, they, they play too many shots. That's why the, the, that order changes as much as it does due to form or injury. There was a, um, a famous moment um, two or three decades ago, I think, when Michael Holding was asked, what, what do you dislike most about Test cricket? And he said, gaps in the slip cordon. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the, just just momentarily, I know England were completely on top of South Africa, but again, they they lined up the six slips for Jimmy Anderson and, and Ollie Robinson. It just sort of sent a message to me to to the batters saying, "We know you're going to nick it. We just don't know who you're going to nick it to." Um, you know, they had six slips lined up. Uh, but a quick word about Temba Bavuma. Isn't it funny how um, for 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 the last four years, people have said he's only got one test hundred. He doesn't kick on. He doesn't convert. Um, he gets too many 60s and 70s. <laughs> but for the last three weeks, we've been saying, well, things might have been a bit different if we'd had Temba Bavuma in the lineup. But he, he has. It's the same thing. You know, he has been making 60s and 70s. But, but for the last 18 months, while South Africa went unbeaten, he's been averaging 45 or 40, 44 or 45. Yeah, they could have done with someone averaging 35 <laughs> in the last few test matches. But he, he is, you know, um, for all his supposed weaknesses in the shorter formats, in, in the longer format, he's willing to wait it out and play the situation accordingly. And that's that's what you need. Uh, uh, and maybe, you know, in its own way, it's shown the value of of those 60s and 70s a lot more starkly now when you realise that there might have been 60s and 70s because everything was crumbling around him and that's just what he could do. Um, and yes, you're measured on hundreds, but you know, the, the, there's weight of runs are just as important. There's hundreds that you score for fun and there's hardworking 60s that change the tone of a match and grind an opposition down and allow whoever's on the other side to play their strokes freely. And, and that's the job that he's done for a few years. Um and obviously he's, he's not scored the runs that he would like personally and that the public definitely would like the numbers to show the quality because you know the quality is there. He's got all the shots. He's got the temperament. He doesn't shy away from short ball or anything like that. But it's it's hard batting with the tail. You know, history's shown. It's hard batting with the tail consistently or a middle order that's collapsing all around you. It's, 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 it's hard. It's not fun. Um, you'd love to walk in at 
250 for three or four more often, but it's just not the reality. And that's his absence in a way has, has emphasized the shortcomings of South Africa's batting at the moment. You know, it, 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 it's, it's made it a lot, a lot more glaring. Well, we talk 60s and 70s. One, that's what South Africa got in this series. 170 from Sada Levere, um, and and nobody else um, passed 50. Uh, let's talk, let, let's not let this conversation veer towards T20 and franchise cricket and uh, the Mumbai Indians Cape Town or my Cape Town. Uh, let's just talk about Mark Boucher um, giving a, a post-match press conference, post-series press conference, in which there was absolutely no suggestion of anything untoward or un- unexpected to come. Um, and then there was a, a press release about three and a half, four hours later from Cricket South Africa announcing that he had resigned. Um, so let's just talk about Mark Boucher um, a little bit, rather than the reasons we can touch, or we should probably touch on the reasons why he may have resigned in such a astonishing fashion. Um, caught everybody by surprise, Um including the Cricket South Africa chief executive. Uh, but what do you think his legacy will be? What do you think he achieved? And how do you think he'll be remembered? Yeah, a, a very, very big surprise. Um, given given all the water that's gone under the Boucher Bridge in his tenure, you know, it's 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 hard to define his, his legacy because it, it felt like it was only really just beginning. I mean, he's fought very hard for this position. He's away from cricket even, you know, clearing, trying to clear his name on, on, on historical charges. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of issues that have got obviously to do with cricket, but not the current cricket that the team was playing. But, you know, culture and if maybe maybe that is a part of the legacy, you know, when you speak to some of the players within that dressing room and uh, some of the support staff and they say that the the tone and the language and, and, and the culture definitely did change. There were hard conversations which South African cricket just did not have. And, you know, if his legacy was to be the bridge between the way things were done and the way that maybe they'll be done in future, maybe that's it. Because on the cricket field, you you know, the test team certainly feels like it's, it's kind of gone backwards. Um, the bowlers have been doing their job and the, and – you're excited every time they get ball in hand, but they've got less and less to work with. Um, the T20 team was mathematically, you know, a couple of runs away from something special at the T20 World Cup last year, but now they've got one last chance in Australia and that's it. So it feels like he's jumped off the bus, off the train a couple stops early and it's, it's hard to understand, um, but everyone makes their own decisions. Okay, Zams, so on that note, I'm going to veer away from my, my the guideline I just gave you <laughs> a minute ago and suggest that the reason he has walked away is because he knows that his contract is up, his national contract was up in a year's time. He knows that it wouldn't have been renewed, even if he had wanted it to be renewed, because four years pretty much is the natural cycle of a international coach. And if the Mumbai Indians... Cape Town franchise came along and said, we want you to be head coach or we want you to be on the coaching staff and here is a deal worth twice, three times what you were being paid as coach of South Africa. 
but it's a it's a once off offer. It's take it or leave it now. Because because we need to make an appointment now. That's um, a makes it understandable that he should take it, whether he was reluctant or not. Makes financial sense to do that. But B, pretty worrying, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, because if the if the if the franchises, the global franchises, the IPL franchises are putting together these global coaching teams, it surely follows as a matter of course that the same will apply to the players. I mean, if South Africa said to Devolt Brevis or Tristan Stubbs, we'd like you to, we're going to take a chance. We want you to play in the test matches. Um, or we, you know, we want you to, or Cricket South Africa said we, we want you to sign a national contract, and their franchise, their franchises said, yeah, sure, you can do that, but you can't have both. You can't have our contract as well. Yeah, I mean, Devil Brevis is a perfect example. He's walked straight into a, a, a million rand contract with Mumbai Indians for the IPL, and on the back of that, he's you know one of their first signings for MI Cape Town. His future is kind of set. You know, he, 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 there's three, four months of the year where he knows exactly what he'll be doing and where with who. If you now say that maybe can we look at test cricket and even at his age, you know, that's the concern. We, we go down the West Indian route of people grooming themselves and and. and, and you know, prioritizing their calendar according to the biggest paycheck. Um, so when a voucher does leave, and if it's for the money, yes, the human in you understands that money talks. Um, but for somebody who's played 147 tests, gone to places like Australia and made history, and you know, half his team talks were based around what that great team of 2008 to 12 did around the world. You know, you plant that seed in players and then you walk away and that, you know, everyone around you kind of looks around and goes, well, cheapers, if, if if it meant that much to him, but he could walk away, why should it matter to me when I've only played three test matches or if I've never played a test match at all? And that's, I think, a bigger concern for the integrity of test cricket and just how special it is. You know, the occasions that you had from Manchester to Lords to the Oval, you wonder how many more South Africa has of those, of that importance and, and that esteem. I mean, you know, all three test matches were done in three days. Even that in itself it says about the impact of, of T20 cricket on the game. Um, but, you know, when, when, when people start prioritizing the shortest format over the ultimate format, for whatever reasons, um, wear and tear, back pocket, whatever, it, you, you worry you worry because do you still call test cricket the ultimate format at that point when you know when when people who've been born and bred and fought and made their name in the ultimate format and say that repeatedly that their best days were wearing the green cap and going to all these places and knowing that you're fighting for something bigger than you and then suddenly you walk away from it it's it says a lot in itself okay just finally i mean i know that you and i share similar views and, and, and have the same sentiments towards test cricket and towards the game in general. But um, it was pointed out to me the other day that um, New Zealand cricket made a pragmatic financial decision to have only two test series. They made that choice. 
and so did Cricket South Africa, but they were they had their hand forced more, whereas New Zealand cricket made the decision on the basis that they, they, they did the numbers, you know. And when they announced that, um, or actually just before they announced, they ran it by the players, Kane Williamson said, I understand. Um, well, that's pretty disappointing if we're only going to have four test matches per summer. To, and that's if we get two tourists, two touring countries. Um, you know, we, we'd like more. And um, New Zealand cricket said, yep, well, so would we. Um, okay, so you you want 12 weeks for the IPL and you want <laughs> to be able to play in at least one other global T20 tournament. And and you want this, and you want time with your family, and you want downtime, and um, and uh, you know they said to Kane Williamson, who had just taken over the captaincy, "We're not against you having all of those things, but it seems to us that we're going to need sixteen months in the year. So tell us where we can fit them in if you want to have a, 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 a be available for the full IPL window." Um, and to which he and the senior players said, yeah, well, maybe two test series aren't that bad. And of course, they went on to become the inaugural world test champions. Um, so so a friend of mine who's a little bit less passionate about cricket, but is still a follower, did point out to me the other day, maybe it's not such a bad thing, actually. Maybe, maybe it actually is quite sensible. Maybe by playing less test matches, even though everybody seems to want to play more, that will impact improve and increase our chances of keeping the format alive and relevant. I can't buy him. When you start doing that, playing less and less, it shows. South Africa's record has shown that the less and less test cricket we've played, the worse we've become. When we're playing a lot of test cricket around the world, we're producing fantastic test cricketers who knew how to fight and win, what worse, draw situations where they shouldn't have. Um, So... The less, the less is more. Argument is not one that I would, I would vote for. It's it, it it's sad if if you're a purist, um, but that's where the money is. But you you just wonder where where it stops where there's too much T20 um, around the world um, because there's still a premium. We obviously know that the IPL is the IPL, but everyone has seen the business model and seen how successful it is, and that's why South Africa is getting on the train. However late it is, and there's big optimism for the fact that this will be the saviour of South African cricket. So you know how high the stakes are, and the players know that. Um, Test cricket becomes less and less of a priority, and and, and as that happens, you worry for the health of the game. And You know, those who care about it have said it for a long time. You spoke about Michael Holding earlier. He despises T20 cricket because of exactly what it's taken away from Test cricket. Um, it, it's what it is, you know. If you've grown up around the game and love the game for for what it gives you and 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 how incredibly beautiful the journey of a five day test when a five day test plays out as it does is. There's 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 so much that you learn and so many nuances and those are gone. You know, it's the difference between a, a five star meal and a a takeaway that you pop into and pop out of and carry on with your day because you you just needed that quick fill. It's, you know, which one is more memorable, but which one makes more money? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, ex- so in the future, uh, in you choose a number, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, do you think we'll look back at uh, 2022 and th- this era and think, um, 
a bit like we did about flares in the 70s. What was everyone thinking? Why did everyone wear flares? Or do you think that it'll be... <laughs> Um, it'll be established like uh, Syria and La Liga and the Premier League, and we'll have all these T20 leagues, which will uh, have their own stories and fabled histories. Worry, yeah. Ten years time, you worry where the Test game will be, and you're not judged on your Test numbers, and 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 that buys you your ticket to be an IPL star that earns the big bucks. Now you, it's the converse. You make your big bucks and see if you can fit Test cricket into your schedule, and obviously. There'll come a time when you wonder if you do need a hundred caps if it's just for the novelty. I don't think we'll see another hundred cap cricketer beyond this current generation. Uh, we'll be lucky to see thirty test caps. I think if we're playing two tests a year, as South Africa will be, it's it's going to be impossible. Which is sad in itself, you know. Um, but that's where game and the world is gone. So I think in ten years we'll look back fondly on those days when we used to tour for test series, and you'll. You'll be international T20 correspondents that occasionally get very lucky and there's a, a once-off occasion, like a reunion match at Lords between the rest of the well, one half of the world and the other side of the world. Exactly what I said to uh, an English journalist who um, I, I always find it very unnerving when somebody says, can I, can I have a, a word? I think, you know, I've been called to the headmaster study, even worse when they're writing an article and they want my opinion, and I'm a fellow journalist. Anyway, he said, where do you see the future of Test cricket? Um, and I said uh, that I think there's a strong possibility that it might become an exhibition event and that uh, there'll be, um, you know, um, tours may in 10, 15 years' time consist of five T20s, an ODI, and maybe once a year a Test match. And teenagers would look at each other and look at their fathers and say, how many of these games did they used to play back in the day? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like rhinos that used to roam freely. And now you see one or two and in 10 years time, there might not be a wild rhino and you go, what happened to all of them? And it's something that you talk about. And if you're lucky to see one properly, you consider yourself very lucky because it seems so far away from the reality that we live in, which it's sad. It's sad because there is a place for what purists call proper cricket, um, but it's increasingly under threat. Uh, and we're seeing, we're seeing that even in, in the way that of the approach of teams that used to take it seriously, it's a bit of an afterthought. Um, if you can go and play golf for a week, when you've put up the performance that South Africa put up and you think you'll be okay turning up against a proper attack with fastest bowler with the most test wickets in history, who only plays test cricket and only lives for test cricket, uh, it shows where, where the priorities have gone. And, and that's, that's sad. Okay, mate. I, uh, I'm catching the, the plane back um, from the UK and uh, so we'll be on the same continent, in the same country, and maybe even, hopefully, from time to time in the same city in uh, in the days and weeks to come but lots lots more to talk about we will of course be talking a lot about uh, the SA20 uh, but for now uh, I do hope you uh, get power back soon <laughs> and and that load shedding does not continue to just discombobulate your life and lifestyle <laughs> thanks Venice. um yeah we'll see you in Cape Town next week hopefully
So, yeah, travel safe. You still didn't say what you shot in the golf course, but I'm assuming your numbers were... Well, uh, I played, yeah, it was my first game since before um, the pandemic. And so it's my first game for over three years. And um, um, I had some very good holes. And I haven't even been at the driving range, Zams. You know what it's like. And uh, so the first hole unusually was a was a par three, um, hundred and fifty two meters, and uh, I, I hit a five iron to eighteen foot and made par. And I thought this is going to be great, um, but I shot ninety five with some good moments. And you know, uh, actually chipping wasn't that bad. So um, maybe we you can take me out again on the golf course in Cape Town. Did you take a caddy? <laughs> I'm in England. They don't have caddies. No, I was just wondering, do you take a caddy? One of my favourite things to do on, on tour is to take a caddy and he shows you around the course. It wasn't that sort of course, Sam. It wasn't Turnbury. It was... All right, all right, all right. All right, we'll chat soon. Cheers, manners. We'll chat again. Travel safe. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to South Africa on 99.94, Cricket Every Day. Please rate, review and subscribe. Download the 99.94 app and follow us personally at Neil Manthor or at Whamzam17. We'll put links up to everything we do on the show, on the podcast and beyond. Also, follow our network at 9994DM on social media. Follow the podcasts and commentary from the matches that we cover all over the world. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation here on 99.94 We Speak Cricket. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.